It's one of the first big decisions you make for your child. So why do so many moms feel like they just get it wrong? It could be the beginning of one of the most important relationships in your child's life. One they might have until they're in their mid-20s. Today we're talking about finding the right pediatrician for you and your baby. This is an issue I am knee-deep in right now. Here to answer all my questions, maybe yours, put our fears at ease, is Dr. Jamie Wells, a pediatrician here in New York City, a woman who, by the way, I wish could be my doctor, despite the fact that I've been out of my 20s for some time. She's smart, she's funny, she's totally knowledgeable, an all-around cool chick. This is Pre-Motherhood with Teresa Priolo. From New York City, USA, welcome to the Fox 5 Podcast Network. Okay, so it's one of the most important decisions that I think new parents can make, or at least that's what we're told. It's finding the right pediatrician for your kid. And unbeknownst to me, I thought this starts once you have the baby, but apparently this starts long before you've ever given birth. So how, in fact, do you go about finding the right pediatrician? I want to bring in one of my favorite pediatricians. She can help us decode this. <laughs> Dr. Jamie Wells, hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you. And I'm excited to represent the right kind of pediatrician. Because there is a right and a wrong. <laughs> Obviously, I embody that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Before we get into how you exactly go about finding the right pediatrician, can you tell people a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm a physician. I'm board certified in pediatrics. I practiced for over a decade in Manhattan and was on staff and faculty at NYU, Mount Sinai, Beth Israel, and St. Vincent's until it closed. I was in private practice for almost a decade. I'm now the director of medicine for the American Council on Science and Health, and we are an educational advocacy nonprofit whose uh, mission is to debunk junk science and publicly support evidence-based medicine and science. So it's an endless battle. <laughs> a tall order, it's too. A tall, it's a tall order. And so I um, consider it just such a privilege to have been in the world of pediatrics. I fell into it. I thought I wanted to be a brain surgeon. My first residency, I started in neurosurgery. And then I wound up training um, in pediatrics at a cystic fibrosis center, which was a very special and unique experience. Kids, uh, I always say pediatrics and geriatrics are my favorite because they tell it like it is. They're truth tellers. They know what they want. They know what they don't want. They're not hidden. They don't hide things like the in-between population uh, with nuance and agenda. So there's a purity and honesty about the way they see the world. And so it's invigorating to work with kids. And I think they're all wonderful and perfect. It's the parents who torture them a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Note to self. (laughs) Um. Kidding. Don't break the baby. That's that's rule number one. (laughs) So, okay. We, we started off by saying that there were good pediatricians and bad pediatricians. And unfortunately, I think for new moms, new dads, you don't know the difference, especially in today's uh, day and age where I feel like the, uh, the, the, the doctor who has his, his or her own office and maybe has two nurses and it's quite a small practice and not this big conglomerate they seem to be falling by the wayside. So you get pushed into these really big, almost factories. Um, And not to say that there's not fantastic doctors in those groups, because we know that there are. But no longer do you just go to the guy around the corner or the guy down the block or perhaps even the person that your sister or brother went to. I feel like there's a lot more work that goes into now finding the right one for your kid. Well, there shouldn't be work finding into it. You know, number one, we're taking such a departure from the joy of the experience. So be grateful to be pregnant. Enjoy the spontaneity that you can have. If you're in a Manhattan 
New York City area or uh, certain cosmopolitan areas, that's for sure, you're very hard-pressed to find someone who's not a wonderful champion for you and your family. That doesn't have to be approached with a PhD level of overthinking, second-guessing. The reality is, is that people put so much emphasis on finding the perfect pediatrician, the perfect this, the perfect that, the right school, the right whatever, and you just transition one worry to the next. The reality is that there are people who do believe in that old world style of care. I, 100% of my patients had my cell phone and email. I did home visits. I, I think being a pediatrician is a very special time in a person's life. I don't care what uh, profession parents have. I don't care what socioeconomic strata. I don't care what ethnicity. What you're, whether you're a 50-year-old first-time parent or a 20-year-old first-time parent, same-sex couples, having a child is the grand humbler and the grand equalizer <laughs> and so finding a person a pediatrician who number one you should want to see how they interact with your child so there's this whole push to meet and interview pediatricians for their personalities which i never think is the greatest thing in terms of it's a great thing in terms of finding someone that you want to be your event planner or someone you want to be your <laughs> pr person but the reality is in medicine i would say the vast majority who go into pediatrics want to help children so i wouldn't go in with such a suspicious you know it's amazing how we have so many fears today with vaccines with everything and the reality is is you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find a pediatrician whose mission in life is not to help children and make their life better right. and and focus on their best interests are there bad actors as in anything yes like anything else but I definitely there everyone's interest is different. I wouldn't be looking at anonymous blogs on the internet. People can, people have a tendency uh, when they're angered by something to write whatever they want, but you don't know the entire account and the story with regard to that. You don't know whether they were compliant or not compliant, because the reality is, as a pediatrician or a physician is bound by privilege and they will never be able to share the other side of that story. I would speak to the people that you trust. I would listen to your OB, but read between the lines with certain healthcare professionals. They will tell you who they kind of nudge you to, to a certain extent or another. Yeah, because everybody has their favorites, right? Uh, yes, but there are you know, different communities and different cultures. There are certain, I've encountered certain cities and things where there's a lot of cronyism, where it's so-and-so's son's brother's sister doesn't mean that's the best person for you. In mm -hmm. New York, I actually think it's quite about going to the absolute best person. But I, my hair would stand up on end when I find an over-marketer in the field of medicine. Totally setting aside uh, plastic surgery and dermatology, which are different beasts. When you're talking about internal medicine, pediatrics, pediatrics runs the span of newborn till age 22 typically in New York actually some are seeing their staying with their pediatrician till 28 later or whatever nobody, wow, nobody wants almost, to leave the people are almost 30 we're and they're still seeing we're fabulous why would anybody <laughs> want to leave who get like I got hugs with after shots I gave lollipops by that you point know. you're being invited to weddings oh I have treated the babies of um people that I was their pediatrician as ageless as I may seem <laughs> I you know had that experience so I grew up in a family of physicians we all cared for my grandparents who lived with me when I grew up my I have um we believe in an old world style of care I think that does still exist it it's very regional dependent unfortunately with the way of healthcare and overheads and and medicine today which we're not going to get into because we'll go down a <laughs> That's a, a rabbit that, hole, which is but another. But that's an important topic it is for an, another it's day. It's a very important topic. But that's why you're, you're experiencing a lot of what you're talking about, about these larger groups. 
So I would say speak as well to your, you can get basic fundamental information that someone is who they say they are by looking at their state medical board. Every uh, state has different requirements, but most of them are pretty in sync with one another in terms of the minimal requirements of graduating from an accredited medical school, not having a criminal record, being board certified. Uh, Someone who says they're board eligible is not actually a thing. It's not, you're not technically allowed to really convey that apparently according to the boards you can be you can be a graduate of a residency program and you could have a couple months till you sit for your boards but board certified is is what you want it is what you want um and now there's back there's pushback in terms of a lot of these maintenance of certification and things but that's again another topic for another program but you can see fundamental things that someone has the basic credentials uh to practice in pediatrics but I never put convenience in a cons- in a top-level consideration of finding a physician. And a lot of people, unfortunately, today, you start having four kids, you start having two kids, you have two parents who work, you have these um, other things. There are more, there tend to be more flexibility, there tends to be more flexibility in a larger group practice. Mm-hmm. However, with, the la- with a larger group practice, you oftentimes will have a lot of nurse practitioners in the practice group. You may not be seeing a pediatrician every time you go. And is that a problem? I mean, is, especially since I don't know personally because I've never gone through that. Is that an issue that if you join a big practice that you may not see the pediatrician all the time? Well, I wouldn't accept not seeing who I want to see, but I'm a different. But I believe in no, empowering but people to be their own advocates. But and that's, that's what people right. need to know. And some people don't care about that. However, it has been affirmed over and over again that continuity of care has greater outcomes. More, you know, you establish a relationship. It's not just about when you're choosing the pediatrician. It's not just about. It's about how your child interacts with them, that they find a trust, that you have a trusting relationship. You could have, that you have a nice chemistry with that person. And the reality is, is you don't have to torture yourself with indecision. This is your child, this is your family. It is a much more therapeutic relationship if you realize that this is not the right fit for you and you change practices. And that's a wonderful thing that we have the luxury of doing in this country, to be able to find an alternative that might be a better solution for you. So. It's you'd be very hard pressed to find someone who's not capable to do certain things. But I, um, I would say things that trends that I've witnessed, people tend to stay with the pediatrician for as many years as they possibly can when they find the right person. Right, they don't want to let them go. They don't want to let them go, and you do become a part of their family. And I found very much that people tend to when they trust their child with you. They only trust you for every decision for every extended member of the family. And what you wind up having in half your visits are you have grandma, grandpa, you get to know families. You get to understand the phenomenology, the, the life experience, you know, settings. You want as a pediatrician or physician to set a family up to succeed. So if there is a single parent home and the alternatives are a medication that's given six times a day with someone who is, has three jobs, you're not setting that person up to succeed. succeed. Yeah. And, you know, the art of medicine is understanding who needs more information, who requires less in terms of some people will forever search for more and more information, but it compounds their anxiety. So you want the relationship to be a mutually therapeutic one. And that's the ultimate goal, so that when you do get in situations where things happen that were unexpected, an injury on the soccer field, an illness is diagnosed, whatever it is, the life event that happens, that there's someone that you trust and value. So my, what I would view as superior 
of greatest import uh, in finding a pediatrician is not someone that you trust and feel comfortable with, that you feel your child feels comfortable with. I don't think interviewing 50 million pediatricians really does much to do, <laughs> does much yeah. to really further the cause in terms of after a, a while, they things. all kind of sound and, the same, right? You know, with the smaller group practice, you could probably get the uh, luxury of seeing the same person way more often. And then when that person's out, you may have that one or two times where someone else. Um, a lot of, you know, kids, believe it or not, there are different trends with regard wanting. I found a lot of families wanted a female pediatrician versus a male pediatrician. To me, I don't really care who my doctor is. That's a very generational thing. That's that. It I just want them people. to be good. You want the best person who you have faith and confidence in who. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can say that I <laughs> with families you see them till their 22nd birthday. You see them through their first periods. You see them through their first heartaches. You see them through every transition in life. You see them when the parents want to bang their head against the wall in terms of adolescence. You see them when there's chronic illness in adolescence, which all teenagers want to be like everyone else. So a chronic disease tends to flare to the extreme mm -hmm. in those situations because kids will test their limits. So it's an, it's an incredible experience and I think it is a very privileged uh, position to be in because you set people up for what their lifetime first experience is gonna be in healthcare. So that's, I always say everyone needs a pediatrician no matter the age. Right now I'm helping, you know, geriatric family members. So but I told, everyone needs a pediatrician. I told you that my pediatrician, I mean, I. I saw her until I was 20 or 19, and now my niece, my nephews, my goddaughter now see her. And it's, she I is one of the most wonderful. phenomenal physicians I have ever come across. I still can't spell her last name because it has so many darn letters, but she is just the most incredible person in the world. And I find that I was never scared to get a shot or to go to the doctor or any of those things in part because of her, in part because she made it such a pleasurable experience even from a young age. And that's something that I always remember. Now, I don't know if someone's scared of a doctor for another reason, but for me, I was just always very comfortable around physicians, partly because I have them in my family, but partly because I was also set up with the right type of physician as a young kid. Well, you had a very unique special relationship that a lot of people had. And they still do exist. I mean, I have contemporaries across the country who want that kind of medical practice. Unfortunately, there are constraints with regard to that. But there still are people who are very dedicated to that. And you can achieve that in pediatrics. But you have to shift also and recognize when things work or don't work. So nothing, uh, the depending upon whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, the only permanence in life is impermanence. So the reality is, is you could find a wonderful, wonderful person and then they're away at the time that you have a crisis and you encounter someone else and you get an adjunct and a, and a beneficial experience from that. Um, but I, I definitely, I, convenience is not a driving factor for me. I also saw a lot of, um, you know, people are very focused on the surface as opposed to the substance of things. And so they like a better looking office. Well, better looking office a lot of times means someone's upcharging for other things. Right. Or, That's you where know, your $200 consulta <laughs> consultation fee came from, right? You know, I liken <laughs> it to my dog, honestly. I had, when I got my dog, I didn't, I had, you know, a limited amount of time to find a vet. And, you know, a lot of people say veterinary medicine is like pediatric medicine. So I found a vet close to me. I needed to get an exam to make sure the dog was healthy and whatever. So I go in, it's this beautiful office. 
in the heart of the city. It, the guy had two assistants who helped him lift the, tup- the puppy onto the table. I was charged an insane amount of money for like disposal fee, this fee, you know, whatever fee. And I'll, I wanted to know about spaying. And I have a bulldog, which is a brachycephalic breed. So they have little smushed in faces. And so you worry most about anesthesia versus the actual procedure. But this was my first dog as an adult and on my own. And I knew I wanted to do that, but I wanted to make sure it was the safest environment. So I remember saying, I say to the front staff, you know, I, tell me about the spaying. Like, who does the anesthesia? What anesthesia do you use? Oh, ask the vet. I go into the vet. Oh, ask the front desk. I said, well, they told me, oh, we'll call you later with an estimate. I get called later with like $650 or something oh, for my spaying. Gosh. This whole thing. I then decide, you know what? It was like anything else I, as I would look for any kind of medical specialist. I called all over the place and I had known that there was this bulldog expert who bred bulldogs, knew about bulldogs, had such a special expertise with the brachycephalic breeds, which is important with anesthesia. And he was out in Staten Island or something. And I thought to myself, why wouldn't I go to where I know it's comfortable? I called the office. It was no nonsense. It was, um, it was on the it was phone. Just They're like, it's, I think it was like, it's $60 to consult. If you like him, he'll do it that day. If you don't, whatever. I go in. He greets me in the waiting room. He walks me back. He picks the dog up. I say, what do you use to sedate? We use Sevaflow and Propofol. Like, he knew exactly what was the safest in the breed. It was no nonsense. You just had an innate confidence and trust. I had done the research, and at a certain point, you have to let go. I had... I felt that I had the greatest amount of faith that I could possibly have in someone without performing it myself, which as a physician, we're mostly control freaks a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and I I travel out to Staten Island for it. You know, it's just not, it's, there's nothing like a family member or your health and well-being. And what you rec- what you have to recognize, a lot of our policies in healthcare today are about band-aiding ruptured arteries. Why? Because people don't do the right thing the first time. They do the quick and easy thing. They do the, you know, um, what's not going to impede their life or they wait and wait. Right. I mean, we're all guilty of this. I definitely am no perfect patient. I'm like the worst patient. Because <laughs> I know too much. But, you know, so... You do the right thing the first time in medicine. You find the person that you trust and have a nice relationship with. You should never fear calling the pediatrician. If you do, change doctors. If you don't feel that they That's answer the questions, tip. you know, and don't agonize over it because the pediatrician wants a therapeutic relationship. And if it's not going to be between the two of you, then it'll detract from their other patients and you won't get the positive mm. experience. And you do have a, a ability to impact children because, like you said, you weren't afraid. You weren't afraid because of the relationship that you had, which set you up to not be afraid now when you're going through right. your first pregnancy, when you're going through other things with family members. And that's what you, it's a very special part of life. So, Are there I, any sort of um, subspecialties or any sort of certifications or anything like that that parents should be looking for when they're choosing a pediatrician. Uh, I'm thinking in terms of, so when you go to pick an OB, for example, uh, it, a lot of women gravitate towards someone where they know that they can handle a high-risk pregnancy. God forbid that occurs, or if you know you're going to be high-risk. Is there anything like that in pediatrics that people need to be aware of? So sort of like a cut above the rest? Well, one of the things that I would say is that the OB is always emphasizing mom is number one. Health of mom is number two, one and baby is number two. Pediatricians, it's always baby, 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 mom, dad, number two, three, four, whatever. Right, whatever. So yeah. you have to take from the two of those 
inputs what you think is most reasonable and best for your family. And unfortunately, sometimes the pediatrician doesn't come into the play until after the baby is born. So one of the things that I think is a very, uh, you know, again, it's the same thing. A lot of people want to deliver in a hospital because they're like, oh, it's so pretty. It's such a nice or whatever. Hospitals aren't hotels. You want to deliver in an environment. It's 2018, which I, is the first time I'm saying that. Yeah, 2018. Which is crazy. You want to deliver in a hospital that has the highest level of NICU care, neonatal intensive care unit. It's the last thing you want. If God forbid, most pregnancies are fine, most babies are fine, but when things happen, they happen quickly, and you don't want delay of care. So it's unconscionable to think in 2018 that you would have any kind of delay when you go to a facility that's not equipped which it's unpredictable. So, you know, a lot of OBs will deliver at a couple different hospitals. I would investigate what the, you know, everything's gonna be fine, but like these things of what formula or what nipple of what bottle, no. The thing that matters is, am I putting myself in the best situation should something unexpected happen, that baby won't have to be transferred to another facility mm. or be, um, delayed in terms of interaction and, and moms don't like to be in a different hospital than their baby typically yeah, no, but that would be of greater importance to me than a lot of the other stuff that people tend to focus on so when so when you go in as a new parent when you go in especially with the kid what are some questions that you think need to be asked or some topics that need to be addressed immediately um that'll give the parent a really good idea as to whether or not this person is a good match or what or what did people ask you that you thought wow this shows that they really have a a good idea as to what they're getting involved in well it depends on where you're meeting the person whether it's in the hospital when you know sometimes you deliver where your OB is but the pediatrician you opt to go to is going to be in a different facility uh, so I would say if we're just talking about meeting a baby for the first time in the office or seeing them after the hospitalization, well, most people's memory is pretty poor. Most people who deliver these days didn't do a residency, so aren't used to sleep deprivation. Right. Towards the end of a pregnancy, you haven't slept so much, which is kind of your body readying yourself, but also the adrenaline of delivery is a big thing. So people tend to crash. The most well-educated, brightest people in the world tend to lose the capacity for common sense when sleep deprivation <laughs> is in the mix. So I That's my problem. There you so go. I definitely. I, I'll never forget saying to people over and over, I'm like, just use common sense. And what I remember I, I would get, you know, you say that, but I just don't think I have it right now. <laughs> and then you realize, you know what? No, that's that's that went out the that's window. That's 100% accurate. Right. But I would say is, number one, do you feel comfortable with the person? Does this person ask you a thorough history? Did they ask you about your, you know, 80% of the, of the picture to diagnose things in advance of them becoming a problem is taking a good history. Did this person ask you a detailed family history? Did they ask you about the entire pregnancy? Did they want you to show them verifying documents from that pregnancy, not just take your word that, oh yeah, yeah, we, I was negative for everything. Well, what were you negative for? Oh, everything. Mm. No, that's not someone who's conscientious and going to be the person. Negative for everything doesn't mean anything. Right. That just means that you had the baby and you're standing before me. Although some people forget the baby at the first visit. I always say, take people forget the doc documents, people forget a spouse, people forget a baby because they forget the baby. Yeah, it's happened. What do you mean? They leave it at home? <laughs> because they're overwhelmed. They had a C section. They had, you know, some people, I'm telling you, don't do very well with sleep deprivation. Dr. Wells, or if they you leave, forget the baby, you've <laughs> got the, big with the issues. Father, with <laughs> with other parts. Oh, that's good. Does, so Fido isn't watching the kid at home. <laughs> Does the pediatrician 
disrobe the entire baby, examine from head to toe the baby to make sure that everything is normal. How do they talk to you about what when they examine? Do they explain to you what they're looking for or what they're not looking for? And some, you know, some people benefit from everything looks great. Other people do not benefit from that. They're left with more anxiety. Yeah. And so I, I would say how engaged is the person? Do you feel rushed? Do you feel that you're afraid to ask a question? Um, certainly, if you have a feeling of distrust or a feeling of whatever, you don't have to go through that 50 million, you know, cycles in your mind. It's your child. Go to someone else. Move it along. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's the big thing, really just seeing how they interact with the baby and also how they answer your questions. And well, if you're and that they're comprehensive and that yeah. they want to see the hospital paperwork, that they want to see that they're following up on these things. The most important thing in these first visits are, number one, the baby's eating, peeing, pooping well. These are your greatest indicators of well-being. Are they... Um, wanting to make sure your newborn screen was performed are they following up with it as opposed to just waiting to get results because no news is good newborn screen blood test is performed on all babies throughout the country but each state has a different level of tests that are performed on it it's taken from a prick from the heel after 24 hours of life and the baby in the hospital but is mandated by law the blood gets sent to the state and is tested for a whole host of conditions most overlap between states but some states have more extensive panels than others in New York, for example, you could potentially, if you are compulsive and anal like myself, then you can start calling around like 10, 12 days, 12 days typically, the state to get the results. Other people might be satisfied like, oh, I haven't heard anything, so it's fine. No, because everything that the newborn, like the newborn screen would be more important to me. It's not something to worry about. It's just something to say, okay, it's a screening tool, so it can have false positives. It's not... Uh, which would then uh, warrant doing more confirmatory testing. And and false positives are, are not uncommon, but that would be something where the purpose of the newborn screen is to pick up conditions that when you intervene that early, you know, two weeks of life versus six months of life. Like what? What kind of conditions? So actually how it began was years and years ago, there was a condition called PK, there is a condition called PKU, phenylketonuria. And what they discovered was all of these um patients in a lot of like psychiatric facilities uh, who developed uh, profound mental retardation had a disease called phenylketonuria. They couldn't break down um, phenylalanine. And that is a, that occurs in foods. So if you give a baby a phenylalanine free formula from the time they are born, they live a normal life, normal intelligence, normal everything. If you start them on regular formula baby who has PKU, which is a very, very rare condition, then they start to deposit that undigested phenylalanine as they age in the brain and, and it causes major problems. Wow. So this was discovered and so the newborn screen was is often called the PKU test. And then over the years, a lot of things have been added to it. So um, cystic fibrosis is on there, uh, sickle cell, um, galactus. There are a whole host of inborn errors of metabolism, um, congenital hypothyroidism, HIV, because there's a window between when mom could be infected pre-pregnancy versus uh, post-delivery. So this is really important So it's very important. It's not something to preoccupy yourself with. But again, it would be something like these are the things that matter. You know, 
a healthy child, a healthy baby, a healthy family, the like each feed and my and taking the temperature every second of every day, not a literal temperature, but like figured it like right. we the do pulse these of, polls, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, these polls that you hear all the time uh, in on the news. Well, I'm at the news, but <laughs> <laughs> you hear the polls every hour. Well, we don't take a temperature every hour on someone. Right. Don't do that on things like there's certain fundamental things you want to know your baby's gaining, growing, meeting their milestones. They don't happen precisely for every single person. There's not something that happens definitively at two hours of life for 100% of the babies in the same way. So, um, you know, those are the things that matter. Did your pediatrician ask about that? Did your pediatrician make sure it was performed at the hospital? If things happened at the hospital, which can happen, sometimes there's jaundice and a baby is, is kept there a little longer. Sometimes moms have issues and things. So did they ask about that? Did they speak to the OB to find out about it? So these are the things that you can determine how comprehensive someone is or not. Maybe you don't want someone as comprehensive. Maybe your personality is better for someone who's more like, these are the big things. I don't care about the other, you know, extensive things. But newborn screen is pretty important. And no news is good news is unacceptable to me in medicine. I want to see the negative result. I, I feel like I'm going to be the mom where <laughs> I'm going to come in with a list of 25 questions and be like, so can you also tell me your own blood type? And you, <laughs> you know, can you show me documentation of exactly where you went to school just to make sure you're perfect for my kid? You know, so I, I think that a lot of moms and dads certainly um, have so many questions, but it's nice to hear that it can be as simple as just finding the right person yeah. that's a good match for I know, And a lot of times people go through these extensive everything and then they wind up delivering. You know, I always say with regard to an OB, you know, you want to meet every person in that practice because it is very possible that events occur, you have a hurricane, someone can't get to a hospital, whatever it is that someone else is delivering your baby. Same thing. You could think you have your pediatrician picked out. You have an unexpected delivery. Everybody's fine and wonderful, but you encountered a pediatrician in the hospital who was the person assigned to the baby who you just fell in love with, who calmed you in a crisis, and that's who you decide you want to go with. And yeah. that's fine, too. All right. Awesome. Anything else that we should add on the topic of finding a pediatrician? No, I just think we're special. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect place to end it. That is the most perfect little bow ever. Dr. Jamie Wells, thank you so much. I thank appreciate you. it. Pre-Motherhood with Teresa Priolo is part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. This episode was recorded, edited, mixed, made awesome by Matt Onimus. The executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Imad Ashgar. Byron Harmon is VP of News, and our Vice President and General Manager of Fox 5 is Lou Leone. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, or you just want to say hi, reach out to me on Twitter at Fox 5 Teresa or on Facebook, Teresa Priolo NY. And stay tuned for our next episode. <laughs>